This is Triple H 100.1 FM with Ian Stewart. Good afternoon and welcome to Rotary Matters. Today we're going to continue our exploration of Rotary, what it is, some of the good work that it does and how Rotarians and non-Rotarians can get involved. Now we call the programme Rotary Matters because as you're going to find out over the next hour, Rotary impacts many lives, many causes and many concerns locally and all over the world. Today, we bring you a story about an extraordinary Australian family whose foresight and generosity have made a huge difference to the health of communities living in disadvantaged countries. Dave Rickards saw that donations of medical equipment made in good faith were lying unused and quietly rusting away in some hospitals overseas. Determined to rectify the situation, Dave applied his business now, his energy and contacts to replace these essential items with modern, safe and serviceable pieces sourced direct from their manufacturers. So how did he go about doing this? And how has this generosity of spirit transformed the lives of people in remote communities? It's, it's a great example of people going over and above the call, putting service before self. Today you're going to be meeting Dave Rickards and his daughter Marnie, who've joined us here in the Rotary Matters studio. I'm keen to share this inspiring story with you, so please stay tuned to uh, Rotary Matters. But look, but first, if you're joining us for the, um, for the very first time, let me give you a quick uh, refresher, uh, the elevator pitch, if you like, about Rotary. Um, and uh, you need to know that it's a worldwide organisation set up over 100 years ago to foster the concept of service above self. Around the world, there are 1.2 million members and 35,000 Rotary Clubs in 220 countries, so it's quite large. Here in Australia, we've got 30,000 Rotarians and 1,100 clubs. Now, most Rotary Clubs meet once a week and they donate their time to some very worthy local, regional and international community service projects. So you're going to find Rotarians fighting disease, uh, providing clean water, sanitation and hygiene, saving mothers and children, supporting education, growing local economies and promoting peace. Now, locally, you might run into Rotarians running a food bank for those less able to pay or delivering supplies to communities stricken by drought or bushfire. You might meet a student here on exchange from overseas, attending a local school and staying with a local family. Or you may find Rotarians running a fundraising event focused on sending emergency shelter boxes to help overseas communities which have been devastated by natural disaster. So, as I said a few moments ago, you're going to be meeting today Dave Rickards, his daughter Marnie, to tell us about their programme. It's an absolute inspirational story which provides medical equipment to um, hospitals overseas. It's a good one. Look, welcome back to Rotary Matters. Today on our show, we're going to be meeting Dave Rickards. Hello, Dave. Hello. And Thank you very much for having us here. Good, good. And the lovely Marnie, Dave's daughter. Oh, hi, Ian. Uh, thanks for coming in. And also with me is fellow Taramora Rotarian, John Cronley, who's going to give me a hand with the questions. Hello, John. Great to be here. Okay, so what this is about today is we're talking about a programme to provide medical equipment to hospitals in disadvantaged communities overseas. Dave, can I begin with you? Where and and, uh, and when, indeed, did the whole idea begin of, of doing this work? Well, strangely, it was uh, in the uh, eastern highlands of PNG at Garoka, the big city up there, and we were at the Garoka, Garoka Referral Hospital, and we were there... Through so some, why were you there in the first place? We were there with some missionary people yes. that were friends of ours yes. that, up from Port Moresby, and we met the 
uh, director and he took us around the hospital and they had no equipment, uh, which we found absolutely astonishing. When we asked the question, he took us to the graveyard out the back and the graveyard was this monstrous pile of rusting medical equipment that had been donated by well-meaning Australians in particular because of our close association. But whilst they might have thought this equipment was that the equipment was uh, worth a lot of money when it was first bought, there were no spare parts because the equipment was so far out of date. There was nobody that knew how to, uh, uh, um, to set the equipment up, to, to commission it. And, of course, there was no, no one that knew how to use it or repair it. So there was no chance that it was ever going to be used. So badly needed, but in bad badly condition. Badly needed. But in bad condition. Yeah, and, and none of I'm, those condi- preconditions for actually getting effective use of the equipment. Right. And the people that were giving it, they thought that just in the act of getting it from a major hospital in Australia and transporting it to a very inaccessible place, that they had done their job. And that was an eye-opener. And it was my wife, Kerry, that said, well, why don't we look up our old network? Now, briefly on that, we had a business in the 1980s and 90s. It was a very large business. It depended mainly on importing cheap product from uh, China. And we had on our on our database 13,000 factories. So we were... In China, 13,000? 13,000 factories. Wow. So it was a big business. Yes. It was Clint's Crazy Bargains. And, and oh, I remember Clint's Crazy yeah, Bargains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing more than $2, wasn't it? Uh, not quite. <laughs> but we won't go into that. <laughs> okay, it was a right. long, long time okay, ago. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, and so we used that network to make some inquiries about uh, buying brand new equipment. Right. New equipment that uh, was so much cheaper than old Japanese and German equipment. Uh, but it was uh, serviceable and it was functional and it was quite quite a journey. So by 2010, we had discovered that an ultrasound machine that was highly functional in the PNG setting could be procured in China for a couple of thousand bucks. Right, right, right. And it would be fully, fully functioning as opposed to the rusty one that was lying out the or, bank. Or as opposed to the medical instruments, second-hand medical instruments company that was selling old ultrasound machines for $20,000. So that was a real eye-opener. And being a business, being business people, we thought we can add value by buying the equipment, buying it in bulk, shipping it efficiently, and then in comes Marnie. So, um, so Marnie, uh, just for the, in case you missed it at the beginning, is Dave's daughter. Marnie, what equipment was most acutely needed back <coughs> in those early days? Well, the program all started with an ultrasound. An which, ultrasound. Which is, um, you know, so obvious uh, the need in those primary healthcare settings to be able to scan a woman and to detect just very basic things, you know, twins, uh, breach, um, uh, placenta previa with the, where the placenta's in front, um, to understand, you know, wh- how risky the birth is and if that woman needs to be referred somewhere or whether she needs an emergency caesarean section. So the ultrasound was certainly the, that was the first piece of equipment we procured 
from China and it's certainly now still the most important piece of the program. And other than ultrasound equipment, what else are you shipping? Oh, well, you start with one thing. Uh-huh. You know what it's like. Oh, yeah. And then it, it just grows. So you, you see that um, the ultrasound, you know, there's a, a, a need and there's a supply chain. Uh, there's also a number of pieces of equipment that are very um, robust and cost-efficient to, to procure in China, and we learnt very quickly that um, vital signs monitors, um, pulse oximeters, fetal Dopplers, ECGs could all be procured and donated um, in a really efficient manner uh, and in a way where, um, in general, the clinicians across the world, across the developing world, can use those pieces of equipment. And so the 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 quality is good? I mean, coming out of China? Quality is fantastic. Uh I'll use the example, there's some equipment out of China that doesn't meet kind of the European standards uh, and that would be things like x-rays they just haven't got the technology yet but the uh, ultrasounds and vital signs monitors the patient monitors they're all of superb quality we could add Marnie that with the oxygen concentrators which is a very very essential piece of life-saving equipment um, uh, to treat pneumonia patients um, uh, that we couldn't find the quality that we regarded as being satisfactory in China. So we, we've been dealing with uh, a company in the United States for oxygen concentrators. We're, we're talking this afternoon. This is Rotary Matters you tuned into. It's Ian Stewart here. Uh, we're talking about a fantastic program pioneered by Dave Rickards, his daughter Marnie, to provide medical equipment to um, uh, third world and developing countries. Uh, John Cronley? Uh, Do you receive any help from major suppliers of equipment in the form of special pricing? Uh, Well, yeah, we do, and we certainly try hard. But but in business, we learnt this uh, when we build our business, uh, purchasing power is all about, it's the quantity. So we... We can talk to Eva about the suppliers, about what a good thing we're doing and the fact that we're doing it as a charity and they will give some concession. Uh, But the real concession comes when we order big quantities. Mm -hmm. And Marnie has been importing, say, with ultrasound machines, she's been importing quantities like 60, 80, 100 pieces. So this talk, this talk. Which is huge. This talk. When you get down to price. It yells. It yells. Yeah. Yes. Um, Suppliers generally, they like the big orders, but they like easy orders. So it's not only the bulk, but we do everything for them. We don't ask them to ship one to Papua New Guinea and and one to Burundi. We bring it all to Australia and we take care of it. And so we are a model customer to our Chinese suppliers. So you have a a warehouse here in in Australia? Uh, We have, we distribute from Australia. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. The warehouse, it's not so much a warehouse. It's a, you know, they're they're pretty compact, these these pieces of equipment. But but the idea... We share, we share... uh, a warehouse space right. with someone that are very good friends that yes. we're connected with us right. in business. Okay, but the, the main point is that you took you take receipt of it here in Australia yeah. and then you send it out to where it's needed That's right. rather than relying on the manufacturer to send it to those different ports and places around the world. That would not work. It wouldn't work. Okay, uh-huh. so as you were saying, Marnie, it's an, they like the ease of doing business yeah. with you, which helps when it comes to getting a, a favourable price. Yeah. John? To what extent do you liaise with the different levels of government when you supply equipment? Uh, Well, this is an extremely difficult question. Um, Yeah, 
Uh, I can jump in to say that it depends which country you're talking about. Yeah. Do you mean Australian government or do you mean the governments internationally? Internationally. Well, we have done some programs with governments where it's appropriate because we're, um, in a way, partner agnostic. So if we can see there's a real need and we can fill with equipment and advice and uh, technical knowledge then and it's going to affect patients and save lives, then we will go in and we will help. We're always mindful um, that we don't want to be doing something a Ministry of Health should do themselves. But that said, we have a wonderful program in Laos where there's a real problem with oxygen distribution and they've got a very good engineering department and we've been able to partner with them to provide oxygen concentrators to every district hospital in the country. Now, it's, it's in that instance, working with government, we can do it. Um, but each government's different, so and, we take it country by country. And then the, it's one thing to supply the equipment, then you also have to make sure that the people on the ground are trained in, in, its, uh, in its proper use. Absolutely. How, how does that actually happen? Uh, so, for example, using the Lao Oxygen uh, Program, we, uh, we had a wonderful uh, representative from the, the company called Airsep uh, that produces the equipment. Uh, they came with us to Lao to do uh, engineering training with the Ministry of Health engineering team. We had one person from each province um, come into the capital city and we delivered a one-day training session and established that relationship directly with um, spare parts supply um, and the, the engineers uh, right through. So it would go clinician to the engineer, through to the engineering office in the capital, through to the supplier, and then we could step back from that because they could take over the maintenance. So it's, it's, it's a terrific idea going from start all the way through to the finish to, the, to the, where the users are actually putting the equipment into practice in the, in the local communities. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be great if it was as easy in other countries. Yes. Laos has a population of six or seven million. Uh-huh. It's kind of a, almost like a benevolent autocracy. Right. Yeah. So, so the government has the best interests of the people at heart, but they also, it's a communist ra- regime, they can get things done. But I think in many of the African countries, it's been very difficult for us working with government. Much easier to work with the the Christian groups in Eastern Africa uh, that are responsible for anything up to 50% of the health care in countries like Uganda and Kenya. Right, right. We're talking on Rotary Matters this afternoon with Dave and Marnie Rickards about a fantastic program they've got to make sure that people in developing worlds have got uh, access to top-class medical equipment. We'll be back to hear a bit more of their story in just a moment. Welcome back to Rotary Matters. It's Ian Stewart here. We've got a fantastic story this afternoon about the provision of medical equipment to countries overseas. Marnie Rickards, um, we spoke at the beginning about Papua New Guinea, and you mentioned Africa as a continent. Um, some specific countries where the need is greatest? Um, Burundi, Burundi. Uh, is our big focus area for 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just been working on the project outline this morning. Uh, there's a, f- a network of facilities, about 40 faith-based facilities, uh, that we'll be partnering with uh, to put in this kind of basic range of equipment that we have uh, procured and have access to. Now just remind us, Burundi is exactly where? Oh, well, the, actually, it's a very <laughs> or good Or roughly point. where? <laughs> uh, so Burundi and Rwanda uh-huh. are next to each other. They're very they're in eastern central africa yes um they're landlocked 
they're tiny. Burundi is the uh, most densely populated country in Africa, but it's very small. There's only about 10 million people, give or take, um, in the country. Um, I'm thinking of the word Ebola. Am I right? Uh, well, no, not Burundi. Not Burundi. N- no. Well, Burundi is next to DRC, and yes. it is you know maybe 200 kilometres from where some of the Ebola activity yes. happened. And I just mm. want to pause to um, celebrate the fact that yeah. today the um, the last Ebola patient in that area was discharged from hospital. Uh, so it looks like the outbreak might be over, which is just fantastic. And it's a real testament to the healthcare workers working in that region. I mean, they they don't have access to a lot, but they do a lot with what they have. Yes. That yes. was an outbreak that just wasn't publicised. Mm-hmm. It wasn't uh, spoken of in the media, even though it, it killed 2,000 people over two years. Yeah. It didn't get any of the airplay like the Western Africa right, epidemic. Okay. So Africa as a continent is a major um, market, if that's the right word, or s- <laughs> outlet for your, for your very good work. Well, we, we're commercial-minded, yes. so I think of it as a market, yes. and I think of what we do as providing a service, and the customers are the facilities and the recipients that the facilities represent. The, do you, do you, the, do you the brand patients. the equipment that goes out? Do you put your foundation's monogram on, on the ultrasound no, gear? No, no, but sometimes we put rotary. Yes, uh, uh, stickers or, or okay. banners. Okay. So uh, this also raises the question then, how did it all begin financially that you're able to afford to um, donate this huge volume of uh, equipment at no cost to the um, well, recipients? People that I've known for a long time have heard the story many times, but Kerry and I are failed hippies. <laughs> <laughs> And so in our desperate desire to keep away from the establishment, we built this business, a bargain store business, Clint's Crazy Bargains, along with our, our dear friends, Sue O'Neill, Norm O'Neill. Sue is a, uh, she's a Rotarian of many years standing and has achieved a lot. And, uh, and we made, uh, when we sold the business in 2000, we sold it for a lot of money. And Kerry and I were fortunate enough to invest our money wisely and we have enough money to to kind of pay for all of this. Fantastic. And so we don't have to bother uh, spending our time soliciting funds or trying to live up to the expectations of the people that want to give us the money. Right. And I think that is just an enormous privilege that, and we celebrate that fact every day. Well, we congratulate you on, on your generosity and your foresight in, in, in this uh, approach to doing some very, very good humanitarian work. We were inspired in 2009 by Chuck Feeney. Now, oh, Chuck Feeney yes. is the guy, the billionaire that wasn't. He's the guy that convinced Bill Gates and Warren Buffett to, to give the larger portion of their money to the welfare of disadvantaged people around the world. Mm -hmm. And Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, in turn, have inspired 50 billionaires to do likewise. Yes. We were, back in 2009, Chuck Feeney, we met Chuck, we spoke to him, he looked us in the eyes, he said, you made the money, you get rid of it. No one's going to do it as well as you because you did well in making it. Well done. And that made a big impact on us, and it's a story I like to tell. It's no. a story I like to remind 
my rich friends. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I hope some, <laughs> hope some of those are listening this afternoon. And if they're not, we'll make sure that they know about the podcast of this show, which will, <laughs> will be available later on this evening on Spotify. <laughs> John, John Cronley. Do you ever cross paths with other organisations from other countries with vaguely similar objectives? Wow. John Gould, oh. perhaps... Yeah. Is the only one that springs to mind, Marty? Yeah, so um, we have come across other organisations in Australia um, who generally work um, under the radar, as we generally do. When we do our programs, we wave the rotary banner. And internationally, though, they're, they're, um, a lot of the American foundations are more open about their philanthropy. And we've managed to create some very nice relationships with uh, with other organisations. Um, as uh, Dad said, there's uh, the Gould Family Foundation in uh, the States who are going to be one of our program partners for this Burundi project. And their focus is on the biomedical support, the technical support that goes along with equipment donation. So it's a very nice partnership. <coughs> and, uh, and the way that you meet these people is just by talking, just talking to people. Yeah, networking. That's yeah. what life's all about. Marnie, you should mention the pink, um, pink umbrella. Oh, Because yes. that's a, a, a big part of what we do. I'd yeah. love to hear about the pink umbrella, Marnie Rickards, but, um, uh, and we'll be back with you in just a moment. This is Triple H, 100.1 FM. It's Rotary Matters. Your host for the show, myself, Ian Stewart. With me in the studio, we've got Dave and Marnie Rickards and our my fellow Taramara Rotarian, Mr John Cronley. Now, just before that song by Creedence Clearwater Revival, Bad Moon Rising, um, we just started talking about the Pink Umbrella Foundation. Marnie, do you just want to scope that out for us, please? Uh, Sue O'Neill started the Pink Umbrella Foundation. It's a private ancillary fund. And uh, DAC Foundation, which uh, is what uh, the entity is that that we work through. DAC being Dave and Kerry Richards, yes. Um, is also a PAF, is, is what they're called. A um, what? A, a private ancillary fund. Sorry, yes, okay. Yes, I'm um, sorry, I'll have to stop using acronyms, so <laughs> please pull me up. Um, uh, Sue O'Neill is a long-time friend. Uh, she was a business partner of uh, Mum and Dad when they had the Clint's Crazy Bargain stores, and she was also our introduction to Rotary. Um, so she established this program for us with Rotary back in 2009 and has been a critical player in the history and um, the evolution of the program. She is currently the Rourke's uh, Eastern Region Coordinator, I believe, and she is a, a Rotarian with the biggest heart. So uh, we we, We've had her here on the show, Marnie, and for the benefit of listeners, this is another acronym, the Rotary Australia Worldwide Community Service is actually what Rorks stands for. <laughs> but, but significantly, um, it, it means that any uh, uh, project that is endorsed by Rorks can attract funding and there are financial advantages, are there not, to the donor, mm-hmm. um, that that um, donation can be considered as a bona fide deduction for taxation purposes. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. what a private ancillary fund is all about. Okay. So you can, <clears throat> you can donate to your family foundation and get a tax deduction. Right, right. Which means that if you uh, give all your income each year to your foundation, you pay no tax. Okay, okay. Mm. So Simple it's worth keeping that in mind. Mm. And if you're interested in pursuing that, 
um, just go onto the website for www.rawks.org.au. We'll explain uh, what it is, how it works, and the advantages for everybody who's, who's involved in it. Yeah. Um, John, I know you were curious about the... Um, uh, the possibility of equipment becoming obsolete and the, and what the new items might be needed in the future. Yes, uh, the question I had about is, apart from uh, any other aspects, uh, apart from need, uh, do you have to consider any other factors, like power availability, skill of the operators, uh, novelty of the equipment? That's all part of the due diligence. And I think that with Womani... Uh, and her little team and her network have been developing their skills and experience in those areas over the first 10 years. When Carrie and I started this, you know, all we were doing was getting the equipment to site, knowing that it was easy to use and that it was likely to last for a fair while. And if somebody broke an ultrasound machine, we would just replace it. But now, Marnie's uh, made the whole process a lot more sophisticated. And so uh, the commissioning of the equipment and the training of the people that are going to use it is a very critical part. It's just as critical as the equipment itself. Of course. If it's just lying there idle because no one knows how to fix it, it's it's no use to anybody at all. So we're talking with uh, Dave and Marnie about the work of the DAK, or the DAC Foundation, Dave and Kay Richards Foundation, um, but it's more than medical equipment, Dave, that you're, that you're focusing on nowadays. I mean, that's a big story in itself, and I don't mean to belittle it, but I would like you to share, if you could, uh, your, your, um, where you're up to with some of the other ancillary um, services. Okay. Well, we try and stay under the radar because I think it's very easy to get uh, immersed in a whole lot of backpatting and backpacking and patting and so forth. Um, so we try and, 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 and uh, we try and stay under the radar. Um, but really, we're just business people. And what we learned in business, in building a big business, was that um, it's, the, it's, it's the way that you uh, allocate and, and integrate resources that determines how successful you are. And that's what we're doing in our new lives. It's just like business. It's like social business. Marnie runs the medical equipment and I run the eye surgery. Hang on, eye surgery. Eye surgery. Tell us about that. Okay. Well, the eye surgery, it's it's pretty straightforward. It's like a business. We employ Nepalese eye surgeons who are the best in the world to go to places where there's a huge backlog of cataracts and then we incentivize them. We pay them per surgery. And so... They go and they work very, very hard. They have the skills to do 30, 40, 50 surgeries a day and to do them well. And it's a very effective method of counteracting one of the world's biggest disabilities. Right. So we, uh, well, last year we organised 65,000 surgeries, which is a lot. In and which country or which countries? In Myanmar, uh, Myanmar Cambodia. Yeah. Bangladesh, Nepal, India, and Ethiopia. So, but it begins by training the people to do the perform the surgeries. No, no, no. These people already have the skills. Uh We're taking people that would normally only get 
twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year income. Oh, I see what you mean. Who right. have the skills to be able to do thirty, forty cataract surgeries a day? We're taking them to another country, and we're paying them an an incentive that allows them to make much more money than they make at home. So it's just business. Okay, but okay. it's very, very effective. Um, and you say you want to keep it under the radar. You sh- um, the purpose of this program, Dave, is to try and p- put the spotlight onto some of this <laughs> this wonderful humanitarian work, this generous work that you but are doing. Ian, I didn't uh, ring you up and said, say, can I, know I be you on your program? I know. I know. <laughs> but we sniffed you out, and we're delighted that you've been able to come in and share some of the story with us. Now, we spoke about medical equipment. You spoke about the eye surgery. There is a third um, arrow in your quiver. Women's, he- women's health? Marnie, maybe you should tell us about that. Uh-huh. Well, the the biggest program that we have in the women's health portfolio is a prolapse surgery program in Bangladesh. Um, uh, and it's a unique, one-of-a-kind uh, program. So it is... I'll, I'll have to pass over to Dad, actually, because the prolapse surgery is a big part of what um, uh, you've done in the past. Well, look, it's it's another story of enterprise. You know, we're entrepreneurs. And so 10 years ago, it was through Rotary that we... Um, it was from those wonderful people at Nepean, Dr Hassan... What's his name? Dr... Dr Hassan, Dr. Ha- yes. Dr Hassan. And uh, anyway, he introduced us to his brother that was still living in Bangladesh who was working at a, a small maternity hospital... And we started funding some fistula surgeries. And when they were unable to find fistula patients, they complained to us and they said, all we're seeing are patients with prolapse. I didn't know, Kerry didn't know what prolapse was. But prolapse is, you know, uh, effectively it's when the uterus just inverts and falls out and it's a terrible debilitation. Of course. Yeah. And so we... We started this program and we were funding the surgeons at that little hospital to do 50 or 100 surgeries a year and that was okay. And and then uh, friends of ours, networks again, obstetricians here in Australia said, what are you doing about uh, sacrospinous fixation? Now, we're not going into the technical details, but what ha- what transpired was that our surgeons were telling us that no such thing happened in Bangladesh and it was only when we sent Australian volunteers up there to inspect 60 women who had 120 women that had had the surgery we found that half of them had reprolapsed really and so that's when we had to pass it over we had to get in heavy duty support and we employed this wonderful lady Anuba Rawat and she and our beautiful volunteers in Bangladesh in uh, Brisbane, they have built this program now, and we've uh, we've funded ten thousand prolapse surgeries over the last eight years. We're very very proud of that. It's a unique thing, and again, it's based on bas- basic uh, good economic principles. We pay the surgeons up there a fixed amount to do the surgeries on poor women that could never otherwise access the surgery. Dave, it is an inspiring story. It really is. And I take my hat off. And, John, I think you would too. Fantastic. To, to, to the enterprise. You've got no hat on. Well, 
metaphorically. Um, <laughs> 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 well, we applaud the fact that you've taken your commercial experience and success and parlayed that, as you've said it, into providing essential medical services, skills, training and resources to people who would otherwise never um, ever get this uh, access to these fac facilities and services. So that is great. Um, I'll uh, be back with you in just a moment after this. Welcome back to Rotary Matters. It's Triple H 100.1 FM. It's Friday afternoon and it is um, 42 minutes past three, which means that it's about heading towards four o'clock. His <laughs> <laughs> arithmetic isn't very good this afternoon. Coming up at four o'clock, of course, we've got Street Beat with Neil, um, with uh, Justine and with Martin for all what's going on around the district. So you've got to stay tuned for that. Look, um, We've had in the studio this afternoon two extraordinary Australians who've done some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful work. They're very modest about it. They're trying to keep it under the radar. They shouldn't be doing this. It needs to be ventilated on a much wider level, and that's what I'm trying to do this afternoon. Um, Dave, Marnie, um, if people want to find out more about your work, what's the best way for them to do this? Well, the easiest way would be to look up our website. Yep, which is... www.dak.org.au. Okay. And another method would be to, for Rotarians to go into search Rourke's projects. So go into the Rourke's directory. Which is www.rourke's.org.au. I, I believe it is. Yes, it is. Yes. And uh, it's certainly not hard to find. Right. And then you can do a search and just do a search on worldwide projects. There are not many of them. And we have two. We have, the, uh, of course, the medical equipment and also the uh, maternal and child health. And there'll be information about both those project areas on the Rourke's website. And... Um as well as that one, there's the uh, Burma uh, project that... Um well, that, that is, that's just one of many, many activities in which we're involved. Okay. And I think we'll leave that for another time because I think it would be wonderful for your listeners to hear the story about that woman and the work that she's doing. Right. And the fact that Rotary is supporting it. This is Krishana, is that her name? That's Kanchana. Kanchana, I beg your pardon. Yeah. And there's a poss possibility, subject to the coronavirus, yeah. of her coming here in May. the studio in May or whatever. Yeah. Um, so please let her know, if you wouldn't mind, that we're very, very keen to find a date that will work uh, for her okay. to talk on Rotary Matters. Yeah. So, again, on behalf of the show, look, fantastic work you guys are doing. Congratulations. And listeners, I hope you've enjoyed hearing about it as much as we have in meeting uh, Dave and Marnie Rickards. I'm going to let them go, and we're going to leave you with a Fats Domino. <laughs> this is Triple H 100.1 FM with Ian Stewart. Good afternoon and welcome to Rotary Matters. Today we're going to continue our exploration of Rotary, what it is, some of the good work that it does and how Rotarians and non-Rotarians can get involved. 
Now, we call the programme Rotary Matters because, as you're going to find out over the next hour, Rotary impacts many lives, many causes and many concerns locally and all over the world. Today, we bring you a story about an extraordinary Australian family whose foresight and generosity have made a huge difference to the health of communities living in disadvantaged countries. Dave Rickards saw the donations of medical equipment made in good faith were lying unused and quietly rusting away in some hospitals overseas. Determined to rectify the situation, Dave applied his business now, his energy and contacts to replace these essential items with modern, safe and serviceable pieces sourced direct from their manufacturers. So how did he go about doing this? And how has this generosity of spirit transformed the lives of people in remote communities? It's, it's a great example of people going over and above the call, putting service before self. Today you're going to be meeting Dave Rickards and his daughter Marnie, who've joined us here in the Rotary Matters studio. I'm Keith to share this inspiring story with you. So please stay tuned to uh, Rotary Matters. But look, but first, if you're joining us for the, um, for the very first time, let me give you a quick uh, refresher, uh, the elevator pitch, if you like, about Rotary. Um, and uh, you need to know that it's a worldwide organisation set up over 100 years ago to foster the concept of service above self. Around the world, there are 1.2 million members and 35,000 Rotary Clubs in 220 countries, so it's quite large. Here in Australia, we've got 30,000 Rotarians and 1,100 clubs. Now, most Rotary Clubs meet once a week and they donate their time to some very worthy local, regional and international community service projects. So you're going to find Rotarians fighting disease, uh, providing clean water, sanitation and hygiene, saving mothers and children, supporting education, growing local economies and promoting peace. Now, locally, you might run into Rotarians running a food bank for those less able to pay or delivering supplies to communities stricken by drought or bushfire. You might meet a student here on exchange from overseas, attending a local school and staying with a local family. Or you may find Rotarians running a fundraising event focused on sending emergency shelter boxes to help overseas communities which have been devastated by natural disaster. So, as I said a few moments ago, you're going to be meeting today Dave Rickards, his daughter Marnie, to tell us about their programme. It's an absolute inspirational story which provides medical equipment to um, hospitals overseas. It's a cool one. Look, welcome back to Rotary Matters. Today on our show, we're going to be meeting Dave Rickards. Hello, Dave. Hello. And Thank you very much for having us here. Good, good. And the lovely Marnie, Dave's daughter. Oh, hi, Ian. Uh, thanks for coming in. And also with me is fellow Taramara Rotarian, John Cronley, who's going to give me a hand with the questions. Hello, John. Great to be here. Okay, so what this is about today is we're talking about a programme to provide medical equipment to hospitals in disadvantaged communities overseas. Dave, can I begin with you? Where and uh, and when, indeed, did the whole idea begin of, of doing this work? Well, strangely, it was uh, in the uh, eastern highlands of PNG at Garoka, the big city up there, and we were at the Garoka, Garoka Referral Hospital, and we were there through... So some, why were you there in the first place? We were there with some missionary people yes. that were friends of ours yes. that, up from Port Moresby, and we met the... Uh, director and he took us around the hospital and they had no equipment uh, which we found absolutely astonishing when we asked the question he took us to the graveyard out the back and the graveyard was this monstrous pile of rusting 
medical equipment that had been donated by well-meaning Australians in particular because of our close association. But whilst they might have thought this equipment was... that the equipment was uh, worth a lot of money when it was first bought, there were no spare parts because the equipment was so far out of date. There was nobody that knew how to, uh, uh, um, to set the equipment up, to, to commission it. And, of course, there was no, no one that knew how to use it or repair it. So there was no chance that it was ever going to be used. So badly needed, but in bad badly condition. Badly needed. But in bad condition. Yeah, and, and none of those preconditions for actually getting effective use of the equipment. Right. And the people that were giving it, they thought that just in the act of getting it from a major hospital in Australia and transporting it to a very inaccessible place, that they had done their job. And that was an eye-opener. And it was my wife, Kerry, that said, well, why don't we look up our old network now? Briefly on that, we had a business in the 1980s and 90s. It was a very large business. It depended mainly on importing cheap product from uh, China. And we had on our, on our database 13,000 factories. So we were... In China, 13,000? 13,000 factories. Wow. So it was a big business. Yes. It was Clint's Crazy Bargains. And, and oh, I remember Clint's Crazy yeah, Bargains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing more than $2, wasn't it? Uh, not quite. <laughs> but we won't go into that. <laughs> okay, it was a right. long, long time okay, ago. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, and so we used that network to make some inquiries about uh, buying brand new equipment. Right. New equipment that uh, was so much cheaper than old Japanese and German equipment. Um, but it was uh, serviceable and it was functional and it was quite quite a journey. So by 2010, we had discovered that an ultrasound machine that was highly functional in the PNG setting could be procured in China for a couple of thousand bucks. Right, right, right. And it would be fully, fully functioning as opposed to the rusty one that was lying out the or, bank. Or as opposed to the medical instruments, second-hand medical instruments company that was selling old ultrasound machines for $20,000. So that was a real eye-opener. And being a business, being business people, we thought we can add value by buying the equipment, buying it in bulk, shipping it efficiently, and then in comes Marnie. So, um, so Marnie, uh, just for the, in case you missed it at the beginning, is Dave's daughter. Marnie, what equipment was most acutely needed back <coughs> in those early days? Well, the program all started with an ultrasound. An which, ultrasound. Which yeah. is, um, you know, so obvious uh, the need in those primary healthcare settings to be able to scan a woman and to detect just very basic things, you know, twins, uh, breach, um, uh, placenta previa, with the, where the placenta's in front, um, to understand, you know, wh how risky the birth is and if that woman needs to be referred somewhere or whether she needs an emergency caesarean section. So the ultrasound was certainly the, it was the first piece of equipment we procured 
from China and it's certainly now still the most important piece of the program. And other than ultrasound equipment, what else are you shipping? Oh, well, you start with one thing. Uh-huh. You know what it's like. Oh, okay. And then it, it just grows. So you, you see that um, the ultrasound, you know, there's a, a, a need and there's a supply chain. Uh, there's also a number of pieces of equipment that are very um, robust and cost-efficient to, to procure in China, and we learnt very quickly that um, vital signs monitors, um, pulse oximeters, fetal Dopplers, ECGs could all be procured and donated um, in a really efficient manner uh, and in a way where, um, in general, the clinicians across the world, across the developing world, can use those pieces of equipment. And so the 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 quality is good? I mean, coming out of China? Quality is fantastic. Uh I'll use the example. There's some equipment out of China that doesn't meet kind of the European standards. uh, And that would be things like x-rays. They just haven't got the technology yet. But the uh, ultrasounds and vital signs monitors, the patient monitors, they're all of superb quality. We could add, Marnie, that with the oxygen concentrators, which is a very, very essential piece of life-saving equipment um, uh, to treat pneumonia patients... um, uh, that we couldn't find the quality that we regarded as being satisfactory in China. So we, we've been dealing with uh, a company in the United States for oxygen concentrators. We're, we're talking this afternoon. This is Rotary Matters you tuned into. It's Ian Stewart here. Uh, we're talking about a fantastic program pioneered by Dave Rickards, his daughter Marnie, to provide medical equipment to um, uh, third world and developing countries. Uh, John Cronley? Uh, do you receive any help from major suppliers of equipment in the form of special pricing? Uh, well, yeah, we do, and we certainly try hard. But, but in business, we learnt this uh, when we build our business. Uh, purchasing power is all about it, it's the quantity. So we, <clears throat> we can talk to Eva about the suppliers, about what a good thing we're doing and the fact that we're doing it as a charity and they will give some concession. Uh, but the real concession comes when we order big quantities. Mm-hmm. And Marnie has been importing, say, with ultrasound machines, she's been importing quantities like 60, 80, 100 pieces So this talk, time, this talks. Which is huge. This talks. When it you get talks. To, when you get down it to pricing. yells. It yells. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, suppliers generally, they like the big orders, but they like easy orders. So it's not only the bulk, but we do everything for them. We don't ask them to ship one to Papua New Guinea and and one to Burundi. We bring it all to Australia and we take care of it. And so we are a model customer to our Chinese suppliers. So you have a warehouse here in in Australia? Uh, We we distribute from Australia. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. The warehouse, it's not so much a warehouse. It's, you know, they're they're pretty compact, these these pieces of equipment. But but the idea... We share... a warehouse space right. with someone that are very good friends that yes. we're connected with as right. in business. Okay, but the, the main point is that you, took, you take receipt of it here in Australia yeah. and then you send it out to where it's needed That's right. rather than relying on the manufacturer to send it to those different ports and places around the world. That would not work. It wouldn't work. Okay, uh-huh. so as you were saying, Marnie, it's an, they like the ease of doing business yeah. uh-huh. with you, which helps when it comes to getting a, a favourable price. Yeah. John? To what extent do you liaise with the different levels of government when you supply equipment? Uh, well, this is an extremely difficult question. Um, yeah. Uh, I can jump in to say that it depends which country you're talking about. Yeah. Do you mean Australian government or do you mean 
the governments internationally? Internationally. Well, we have done some programs with governments where it's appropriate because we're, um, in a way, partner agnostic. So if we can see there's a real need and we can fill with equipment and advice and uh, technical knowledge then and it's going to affect patients and save lives, then we will go in and we will help. We're always mindful um, that we don't want to be doing something a Ministry of Health should do themselves. But that said, we have a wonderful program in Laos where there's a real problem with oxygen distribution and they've got a very good engineering department and we've been able to partner with them to provide oxygen concentrators to every district hospital in the country. Now, it's, it's in that instance, working with government, we can do it. Um, but each government's different, so and, we take it country by country. And then the, it's one thing to supply the equipment, then you also have to make sure that the people on the ground are trained in, in, its, uh, in its proper use. Absolutely. How, how does that actually happen? Uh, so, for example, using the Lao Oxygen uh, Program, we, uh, we had a wonderful uh, representative from the, the company called Airsep uh, that produces the equipment. Uh, they came with us to Lao to do uh, engineering training with the Ministry of Health engineering team. We had one person from each province um, come into the capital city and we delivered a one-day training session and established that relationship directly with um, spare parts supply um, and the, the engineers uh, right through. So it would go clinician to the engineer through to the engineering office in the capital through to the supplier and then we could step back from that because they could take over the maintenance. So it's, it's, it's a terrific idea going from start all the way through to the finish to, the, to the, where the users are actually putting the equipment into practice in the in the local communities, yeah, yeah, it'd be great if it was as easy in other countries. Yes. Laos has a population of six or seven million. Uh-huh. It's kind of a, almost like a benevolent autocracy, right? Yeah, so so the government has the best interests of the people at heart, but they also it's a communist re- regime. They can get things done. But I think in many of the African countries, it's been very difficult for us working with government. Much easier to work with the the Christian groups in Eastern Africa uh, that are responsible for anything up to 50% of the health care in countries like Uganda and Kenya. Right, right. We're talking on Rotary Matters this afternoon with Dave and Marnie Rickards about a fantastic program they've got to make sure that people in developing worlds have got uh, access to top-class medical equipment. We'll be back to hear a bit more of their story in just a moment. Welcome back to Rotary Matters. It's Ian Stewart here. We've got a fantastic story this afternoon about the provision of medical equipment to countries overseas. Marnie Rickards, um, we spoke at the beginning about Papua New Guinea, and you mentioned Africa as a continent. Um, some specific countries where the need is greatest? Um, Burundi, Burundi. Uh, is our big focus area for 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just been working on the project outline this morning. Uh, there's a, f- a network of facilities, about 40 faith-based facilities, uh, that we'll be partnering with uh, to put in this kind of basic range of equipment that we have uh, procured and have access to. Now, just remind us, Burundi is exactly where? Oh, well, th- actually, it's a very <laughs> or good Or roughly point. where? <laughs> uh, so, Burundi and Rwanda uh-huh. are next to each other. They're very they're in eastern central africa yes um they're landlocked they're tiny burundi is the um, most densely populated country in africa but it's very small there's only about 10 million people give or take um in the country 
Um, I'm thinking of the word Ebola. Am I right? Uh, well, no, not Burundi. Not Burundi. No. Well, Burundi is next to DRC, and yes. it is you know maybe 200 kilometres from where some of the Ebola activity yes. happened. And I just mm. want to pause to um, celebrate the fact that yeah. today the um, the last Ebola patient in that area was discharged from hospital. Uh, so it looks like the outbreak might be over, which is just fantastic. And it's a real testament to the healthcare workers working in that region. I mean, they they don't have access to a lot, but they do a lot with what they have. Yes. That yes. was an outbreak that just wasn't publicised. Mm-hmm. It wasn't uh, spoken of in the media, even though it, it killed 2,000 people over two years. Yeah. It didn't get any of the airplay like the Western Africa right, epidemic. Okay. So Africa as a continent is a major um, market, if that's the right word, or s- <laughs> outlet for your, for your very good work. Well, we, we're commercial-minded, yes. so I think of it as a market, yes. and I think of what we do as providing a service, and the customers are the facilities and the recipients that the facilities represent. The, do you, do the, you, do the you brand patients. the equipment that goes out? Do you put your foundations monogram on, on the ultrasound no, gear? No, no, but sometimes we put rotary. Yes, uh, uh, stickers or, or okay. banners. Okay. So uh, this also raises the question then, how did it all begin financially that you're able to afford to um, donate this huge volume of uh, equipment at no cost to the um, well, recipients? People that I've known for a long time have heard the story many times, but Kerry and I have failed hippies. <laughs> <laughs> And so in our desperate desire to keep away from the establishment, we built this business, a bargain store business, Clint's Crazy Bargains, along with our, our dear friends, Sue O'Neill, Norm O'Neill. Sue is a, uh, she's a Rotarian of many years standing and has achieved a lot. And, uh, and we made, uh, when we sold the business in 2000, we sold it for a lot of money. And Kerry and I were fortunate enough to invest our money wisely and we have enough money to to kind of pay for all of this fantastic and so we don't have to bother uh spending our time soliciting funds or trying to live up to the expectations of the people that want to give us the money right and i think that is just an enormous privilege and we celebrate that fact every day. Well, we congratulate you on on your generosity and your foresight in in this uh, approach to doing some very, very good humanitarian work. We were inspired in 2009 by Chuck Feeney. Now, Chuck Feeney is the guy, the billionaire that wasn't. He's the guy that convinced Bill Gates and Warren Buffett to, to give the larger portion of their money to the welfare of disadvantaged people around the world. Mm-hmm. And Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, in turn, have inspired 50 billionaires to do likewise. Yes. We were back in 2009, Chuck Feeney, we met Chuck, we spoke to him, he looked us in the eyes, he said, you made the money, you get rid of it. No one's going to do it as well as you because you did well in making it. Well done. And that made a big impact on us and it's a story I like to tell. It's no. a story I like to remind my rich friends. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I hope some, <laughs> hope some of those are listening this afternoon. And if they're not, we'll make sure that they know about the podcast of this show, which <laughs> will, will be available later on this evening on Spotify. <laughs> John, John Cronley. Do you ever cross paths with other organisations 
from other countries with vaguely similar objectives? Wow. John Gould, oh. perhaps, yeah. is the only one that springs to mind, Marty. Yeah, so um, we have come across other organisations in Australia um, who generally work um, under the radar, as we generally do. When we do our programs, we wave the rotary banner. And internationally, though, they're, they're, um, a lot of the American foundations are more open about their philanthropy. And we've managed to create some very nice relationships with uh, with other organisations. Um, as uh, Dad said, there's uh, the Gould Family Foundation in uh, the States who are going to be one of our program partners for this Burundi project. And their focus is on the biomedical support, the technical support that goes along with equipment donation. So it's a very nice partnership. And, uh, and the way that you meet these people is just by talking, just talking to people. Yeah, networking. That's yeah. what life's all about. Marnie, you should mention the pink, um, pink umbrella. Oh, Because yes. that's a, a, a big part of what we do. I'd yeah. love to hear about the pink umbrella, Marnie Rickards, but um, uh, and we're back with you in just a moment. This is Triple H, 100.1 FM. It's Rotary Matters. Your host for the show, myself, Ian Stewart. With me in the studio, we've got Dave and Marnie Rickards and our my fellow Taramara Rotarian, Mr. John Cronley. Now, just before that song by Credence Clearwater Revival, Bad Moon Rising, um, we just started talking about the Pink Umbrella Foundation. Marnie, do you just want to scope that out for us, please? Uh, Sue O'Neill uh, started the Pink Umbrella Foundation. It's a private ancillary fund. And uh, DAC is... DAC Foundation, which uh, is what uh, the entity is that, that we work through. DAC being Dave and Kerry Richards, Correct. yes. yes. Um, is also a PAF, is, is what they're called. A what? Um, a, a private ancillary fund. Sorry, yes, okay. Yes, I'm sorry, I'll have to stop using acronyms, so <laughs> please pull me up. Um, uh, Sue O'Neill is a long-time friend. Uh, she was a business partner of uh, Mum and Dad when they had the Clint's Crazy Bargain stores. And and she was also our introduction to Rotary. Um, so she established this program for us with Rotary back in 2009 and has been a critical player in the history and um, the evolution of the program. She is currently the Rourke's uh, Eastern Region Coordinator, I believe, and she is a, a Rotarian with the biggest heart. So uh, we we, we've had her here on the show, Marnie, and for the benefit of listeners, this is another acronym, the Rotary Australia Worldwide Community Service is actually what ROCS stands for. <laughs> but, but significantly, um, it, it means that any uh, project that is endorsed by ROCS can attract funding and there are financial advantages, are there not, to the donor. Mm-hmm. Um, that that um, donation can be considered as a bona fide deduction for taxation purposes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's yep. what a private ancillary fund is all about. Okay. So you, can, <clears throat> you can donate to your family foundation and get a tax deduction. Right, right. Which means that if you uh, give all your income each year to your foundation, you pay no tax. Okay, okay. Mm, so it's worth that. keeping that in mind. Mm. And if you're interested in pursuing that, um, just go onto the website for www.rawks.org.au, which will explain uh, what it is, how it works, and the advantages for everybody who's, who's involved in it. Yeah. Um, John, I know you were curious about the... Um, uh, 
the possibility of equipment becoming obsolete and, and, and what the new items might be needed in the future. Yes, uh, the question I had about is, apart from uh, any other aspects, uh, apart from need, uh, do you have to consider any other factors, like power availability, skill of the operators, uh, novelty of the equipment? That's all part of the due diligence. And I think that with uh, Womani and her little team and her network have been developing their skills and experience in those areas over the first 10 years. When Kerry and I started this, you know, all we were doing was getting the equipment to site, knowing that it was easy to use and that it was likely to last for a fair while. And if somebody broke an ultrasound machine, we would just replace it. But now, Marnie's uh, made the whole process a lot more sophisticated. And so uh, the commissioning of the equipment and the training of the people that are going to use it is a very critical part. It's just as critical as the equipment itself. Of course. If it's just lying there idle because no one knows how to fix it, it's, yeah, exactly. it's no use to anybody at all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking with uh, Dave and Marnie about the work of the DAK, or the DAC Foundation, Dave and Kay Richards Foundation. Um, but it's more than medical equipment, Dave, that you're, that you're focusing on nowadays. I mean, that's a big story in itself, and I don't mean to belittle it, but I would like you to share, if you could, uh, your, your, um, where you're up to with some of the other ancillary um, services. Okay. Well, we try and stay under the radar because I think it's very easy to get uh, immersed in a whole lot of backpatting and backpacking and patting and so forth. Um, so we try and, 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 and uh, we try and stay under the radar. Um, but really, we're just business people. And what we learned in business, in building a big business, was that um, it's, the, it's, it's the way that you uh, allocate and, and integrate resources that determines how successful you are. And that's what we're doing in our new lives. It's just like business. It's like social business. Marnie runs the medical equipment and I run the eye surgery. Hang on, eye surgery. Eye surgery. Tell us about that. Okay. Well, the eye surgery, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's like a business. We employ Nepalese eye surgeons, who are the best in the world, to go to places where there's a huge backlog of cataracts and then we incentivize them. We pay them per surgery. And so... They go and they work very, very hard. They have the skills to do 30, 40, 50 surgeries a day and to do them well. And it's a very effective method of counteracting one of the world's biggest disabilities. Right. So we, uh, well, last year we organised 65,000 surgeries, which is a lot. In and which country or which countries? In Myanmar, uh, Myanmar Cambodia. Yeah. Bangladesh, Nepal, India, and Ethiopia. So, the, the, but it begins by training the people to do the perform no. the surgeries. No, no, no. These people already have the skills. Uh huh. We're taking people that would normally only get twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year income. Oh, I see what you mean. Who right. have the skills to be able to do thirty, forty cataract surgeries a day? We're taking them to another country, and we're paying them an, an incentive that allows them to make much more money than they make at home. So it's just business. Okay. But okay. it's very, very effective. 
um, and you say you want to keep it under the radar. You sh- uh, the purpose of this program, Dave, is to try and p- put the spotlight onto some of this <laughs> this wonderful humanitarian work, this generous work that you but are doing. Ian, I didn't uh, ring you up and said, say, can I, I be you on your program? I know, I know. <laughs> but we sniffed you out and we're delighted that you've been able to come in and share some of the story with us. Now, we spoke about medical equipment, you spoke about the eye surgery. There is a third um, arrow in your quiver, women's, <laughs> women's health. Marnie, maybe you should tell us about that. Uh-huh. Well, the the biggest program that we have in the women's health portfolio is a prolapse surgery program in Bangladesh. Um, uh, and it's a unique, one-of-a-kind uh, program. So it is... I'll, I'll have to pass over to Dad, actually, because the prolapse surgery is a big part of what um, uh, you've done in the past. Well, look, it's, it's another story of enterprise. You know, we're entrepreneurs, and so... Ten years ago, it was through Rotary that we... Um, it was from those wonderful people at Nepean. Dr Hassan... What's his name? Dr... Dr Hassan, Doc, Doc, yes. Dr Hassan. And uh, anyway, he introduced us to his brother that was still living in Bangladesh who was working at a, a small maternity hospital and we started funding some fistula surgeries and when they were unable to find fistula patients, they complained to us and they said, all we're seeing are patients with prolapse. I didn't know, Kerry didn't know what prolapse was. But prolapse is, you know, uh, effectively it's when the uterus just inverts and falls out and it's a terrible debilitation. Of course. Yeah. And so we, we started this program and we were funding the surgeons at that little hospital to do 50 or 100 surgeries a year and that was okay and and then uh, friends of ours networks again obstetricians here in australia said what are you doing about uh, sacrospinous fixation now we're not going into the technical details but what ha- what transpired was that our surgeons were telling us that no such thing happened in Bangladesh and it was only when we sent Australian volunteers up there to inspect 60 women who had 120 women that had had the surgery we found that half of them had reprolapsed really and so that's when we had to pass it over we had to get in heavy duty support and we employed this wonderful lady Anuba Rawat and she and our beautiful volunteers in Bangladesh in uh, Brisbane, they have built this program now, and we've uh, we've funded ten thousand prolapse surgeries over the last eight years. We're very very proud of that. It's a unique thing, and again, it's based on bas- basic uh, good economic principles. We pay the surgeons up there a fixed amount to do the surgeries on poor women that could never otherwise access the surgery. Dave, it is an inspiring story. It really is. And I take my hat off, and John, I think you would too, to to, to the enterprise. You've got no hat on. (laughs) (laughs) Metaphorically. um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, we applaud the fact that you've taken your commercial experience and success and parlayed that, as you've said it, into providing essential medical services, skills, training, 
and resources to people who would otherwise never um, ever get this uh, access to these fac facilities and services. So that is great. Um, I'll uh, be back with you in just a moment after this. Welcome back to Rotary Matters. It's Triple H 100.1 FM. It's Friday afternoon and it is um, 42 minutes past three, which means that it's about heading towards four o'clock. His <laughs> <laughs> arithmetic isn't very good this afternoon. Coming up at four o'clock, of course, we've got Street Beat with Neil, um, with uh, Justine and with Martin for all what's going on around the district. So you've got to stay tuned for that. Look, um, we've had in the studio this afternoon two extraordinary Australians who've done some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful work. They're very modest about it. They're trying to keep it under the radar. They shouldn't be doing this. It needs to be ventilated on a much wider level, and that's what I'm trying to do this afternoon. Um, Dave, Marnie, um, if people want to find out more about your work, what's the best way for them to do this? Well, the easiest way would be to look up our website. Yep, which is... www.dak.org. ORG.AU. Okay. And another method would be to, for Rotarians to go into raw, search Rourke's projects. So go into the Rourke's di directory. Which is www.rawks.org.au. Yeah, I, I believe it is. Yes, it is. Yes. And uh, it's certainly not hard to find. Right. And then you can do a search and just do a search on worldwide projects. There are not many of them. And we have two. We have the, uh, of course, the medical equipment and all the, also the uh, maternal and child health. And there'll be information about both those project areas on the Rourke's website. And... Um as well as that one, there's the uh, Burma uh, project that... Um well, that, that is, that's just one of many, many activities in which we're involved. Okay. And I think we'll leave that for another time because I think it would be wonderful for your listeners to hear the story about that woman and the work that she's doing. Right. And the fact that Rotary is supporting it. This is Krishana, is that her name? That's Kanchana. Kanchana, I beg your pardon. Yeah. And uh, there's a poss possibility, subject to the coronavirus, yeah. of her coming here in to May. the studio in May or whatever. Yeah. Um, so please let her know, if you wouldn't mind, that we're very, very keen to find a date that will work uh, for her okay. to talk on Rotary Matters. Yeah. So, again, on behalf of the show, look, fantastic work you guys are doing. Congratulations. And listeners, I hope you've enjoyed hearing about it as much as we have in meeting uh, Dave and Marnie Rickards. I'm going to let them go, and we're going to leave you with a fast domino. Mm -hmm.